Hi, I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos, and welcome to episode 11 of the Back Peg Daily Doha series. And Nathan, Nathan, what a morning. This episode is brought to us by all those that have worn the Socceroos shirt before in the spirit of the 74 Socceroos and Johnny Warren, who we're thinking about today as well, because he told us so. We've only gone and done it, Laz. The Socceroos into the round of 16. What a remarkable tournament this has turned out to be. I didn't think we'd be here after match day one. We're very much downbeat on the Socceroos, on Australian football as a whole. And wow, what a difference a week makes. Incredible, isn't it? Straight off the bat, congratulations to Graham Arnold and his coaching team. And more importantly to the players. That was well-deserved. That was well-deserved, an incredible performance and qualification. Six points, two wins on the bounce. The first time Australia have won two games in the group phase at a World Cup, also consecutively. Incredible. Incredible. The clean sheets as oh, well, though. That's the most the impressive thing. The clean sheets thing. as yeah, well. That's the most impressive thing. Harry Sutar, take a bow. Yes, it wasn't just Harry, but oh my, Harry Sutar, what a performance he put in once again. He was brilliant against Tunisia and he was brilliant again this morning against Denmark. And every time he headed the ball clear, it was just a big roar. I could hear it all the way around the country. Everyone up in unison, every single time Harry Suter got his head to a, a cross that was delivered in. It was always him and he delivered for the Socceroos. Well done to Graham Arnold and Football Australia for identifying that Harry Suter could be brought into this setup. And well done to convince him to come on board because what an addition he has been to this team. Totally echo your thoughts there. Um, and we said in our preview series, the Destination Doha series, that we did preview this this group. And at the end of that uh, episode, I recall, we had a, a conversation and we said, what would success look like? Well, this is what success looks like. And they've expe- exceeded expectations. We thought that four points would be enough. You know, we'd be satisfied with four points and just miss out but they've exceeded their you know they're in distinction territory here with that performance as far as Australian football is concerned to do it with this team as well which you know we've spoken about the golden generation well this generation is about to write their own history and well deserved and couldn't be happier for them absolutely brilliant for this team to do what they've achieved on the world stage. Incredible. I think you can lay to rest the tagline, the Soccer Who's. It's no longer a team of nobodies. Everybody in the country are aware of these players now. And wow, they have put themselves on the map. And as you said, Lazarus, four points was what you deemed a success. After the Tunisia game a couple of days ago, I said I was content with whatever whatever happened this morning. Uh, I'm more than content with the result, of course. And wow, just I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe that we've actually done it and got through to the knockout phases. As we all know, just the second time ever, emulating the success of 2006. But if you purely look at results, these are even more impressive. When you factor in the team, as you said, to be able to go out and beat Tunisia, beat Denmark, keeping clean sheets, yes, we had to do what we had to do without the ball. We had to work hard. We had to defend extremely well. But we have gone and done it. And we are through to the knockout stages. Unbelievable. Yeah, echo your thoughts there. Look, the fact is, we, you know, 
we've been critical in the past about uh, Graham Arnold and Arnie Ball, right? And the, the brand of football. But I think this tournament environment and this cup knockout football style of, as with the, you know, with tweaks to the system and, and obviously the coaching staff have done a lot of work with uh, Rennie Millenstein as well, uh, being Graham's uh, assistant coach. They've done a lot of uh, scouting and a lot of work and you know, all the credit goes to them and to the players because they've executed this as uh, as well as they could given the circumstances and the and the squad, right? Just you know, the, the football that they played has suited this tournament, and to do it in these circumstances, brilliant again. Uh, you know, just just a brilliant day for Australian football. And let's keep going. And as long as it goes, if it, we get knocked out by uh, you know Argentina in the next round of sixteen on Sunday morning at six a.m., so be it. But we've got to take this now as a game and run with it, and realise that this is an opportunity again for us to look at what we're doing as a game, as a sport, and foster talent, generate talent coach the coaches, coach the players, you know, and what is our long-term goal here? And our long-term goal is success at this stage across youth, boys and, and girls, men and women. So we need to uh, to take this moment, enjoy the moment, but focus on, on the long-term as well. And the players just and the coaching staff need to focus on Sunday because that's going to be very challenging uh, scenario for them. Should we get to the game and what we thought of the game? Yep, let's talk about the game. We can go on and on about the long-term impact of this result and what it might mean, but we can save that for another day. Today, we should be focusing on the match uh, first and foremost, and I don't know how you saw it, Laz, but the first 20, 25 minutes, we were hanging on, very much so. We didn't start well. Denmark, they look lively, they look sharp, they look ready to go out and win the game, which they had to go out and do. But from around about that 25th minute onwards, yes, the nerves were kicking in for everyone watching it here in the, in Australia, but there wasn't that many times where they had a one-on-one with a keeper, they had a clear-cut chance, they had a massive opportunity to put the ball in the back of the net. There was a couple of dicey moments, but in reality, if a goal was scored from those moments, you'd think it's a massive blunder, not a moment of brilliance from the Danes. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Nathan. Up until the 25th minute mark, the Danes were very clever in the way that they were actually trying to stretch our lines. Right? You could see that we couldn't string, that Australia couldn't string any passes together. The Danes were able to do so with the space, and, and they were creating space with fair approach to the game. But once the scoreboard was still at nil, and the Danes were getting frustrated, and that's when the 25th minute. There was a phase of play, and I thought, okay, the Denmark midfield is getting frustrated here. You could see the, you know, Ericsson, his body language wasn't, you know, was starting to, you know, uh, get frustrated. Um, they were not, you know, they were trying to lock on the door, and, and they just couldn't get through. So Australia's defence was resolute. Yes, we rode our luck to a degree, but it was pretty resolute throughout the whole game. And then we found we started to string passes together, found a rhythm. The lines between midfield um, and the attacking third 
and the defensive third all got connected and it was really, really good to see. We started to play we started to play in the game and play our football and from there on the thirtieth minute mark the game changed and essentially that was it. Yes, and the halftime substitution as well should be mentioned. Bringing on Keanu Bacchus for Craig Goodwin, shifting Riley McGree out onto the wing. It was a masterstroke. Keanu Bacchus had a fantastic half of football. He was bringing so much energy and he showed great skill, great feet to win a couple of fouls, hype the pitch, to give that defence a breather. That was the most important part. It wasn't just the entire half of backs against the wall defending. Keanu Bacchus is a major part of why we're celebrating this morning, what his contribution was off the bench. Very much so. And we always looked good in transition, and that's where the goal came from. And we just played football, played it, you know, played it out. And I'm so happy for Matthew Leckie. I mean, he's you know three World Cups, first goal in a World Cup, great finish, and you know had it had a bit to do, but took his chance well, and that's all we needed. Because Matt Leckie wasn't having the best of games up until that point, I thought. Yes, he was working hard. Yes, he was putting in for the team. He was doing all the hard stuff, the grinding. He didn't really get too much going when when. Australia were looking to get out of the box and move up the pitch a little bit. And that moment, the goal, was one that he will absolutely treasure for the rest of his life. That's one that the entire country will treasure. And it doesn't matter. The rest of the game is irrelevant. It is just that moment for Matt Leckie. And he was absolutely spent by the end of the game. And he was he was absolutely gassed. What a crazy three-minute period of emotions there as well. So three minutes prior to that, Tunisia had scored. And we're, and we're going ahead of us at that point in time and then we score and that's the end of this that's the end of the section it really it's just brilliant um who was your standout player from the soccer rooms oh it has to be harry Suter. it has to be for mine he was just a, a colossus in defense and after the Tunisia game, I named the uh, the podcast the Colossus of Al Wakra. I might be wheeling that one out again because it's an absolute carbon copy performance for Harry Souza. He may have been even better today. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about ranking the Tunisia game in this game, but um, yeah, Harry Souza, unbelievable. He will not be at Stoke City for much longer at all. There will be clubs all around Europe taking notice of him, and I can absolutely see him at a no disrespect to him whatsoever at a at a Bottom half of the of a table team just being an absolute rock at the back. Something like a, a, a Connor Cody or a James Tarkovsky. This style of player that we've seen down the years. And Harry Suter, he's absolutely earned it. What a recovery it's been for him. As it's been well noted, 12 months out with a serious injury. He's done the rehab. He's done the hard work. And look at where it has got him. He's back on the world stage. And he's Australia's best player for mine. The conditioning, um, the strength and conditioning team led by Andrew Clark have been absolutely brilliant during this period. And the fact that Harry Suda has been able to play almost, well, every minute of the campaign thus far is a credit to the work that's been done behind the scenes. I want to mention Aziz Bage because I thought he was everywhere tonight, this morning. He was just brilliant. Booked after four minutes as well, which I thought was incredibly harsh to give him a yellow card after three, four minutes. Yeah, in that context, incredible performance. 
unbelievable. But you could pick almost anybody from the Socceroos team for a player of the day. They all deserve it. They all deserve this place in the round of 16. It wasn't a fluke. We were the better team against Tunisia, and we were the better team again today. Yes, we didn't have a lot of the ball, but just because you have possession doesn't mean you're the better team. And Australia deserve the six points they have on the board. And as it turned out, we only lost the group on goal difference. Incredible, especially after the first game. Incredible. Uh, Irvine was brilliant as well. He deserves a special mention. Too. Should we look at uh, what else happened in our group? Group there in the far head, big Kalfala group. And the end of the FBD Cup, as we or FBK Cup, as we uh, have been calling it. <laughs> oh wow! This France Tunisia game. If the score in the Australia Denmark game was a draw, if it was one all, if Denmark had managed to find the back of the net, this would have been the biggest drama you will have ever seen. Luckily for the for Australia for the Socceroos, it was all academic. But what on earth was going on at the end of this game, France? For the entire game, what was going on for this game? Because France named their second string team. <laughs> I'm. I'm being kind calling it a second string team. Well, yes, but nine changes. But they are the world champions as well, so, you know, they've got depth of talent. Nine changes, but you've got Camavinga at left back and you've got Guendouzi at left wing. They're the things that struck me as really weird. Like, you know, yes, make your changes, but put play them in the positions that they're normally accustomed to. Don't just give them a run for the sake of giving them a run. Because that's what it was for this French team. It was a run for the sake of having a run. That game, even if France had managed to come back and get something out of it, is completely useless to the entire squad. They don't, apart from the 90 minutes that the players played, there's no takeaways from that game for France because not only was it a different team, and yes, if it's a different team, that obviously doesn't do much for the first team players, but you can still work on patterns of play. Someone can play themselves into contention for a starting spot or a late sub to try and change the game if it's not going well for them in the next one. This game was just complete nothingness for France, and they were rightly punished. 100%. You know, we're in agreement a lot this morning, and I think, but the evidence speaks for itself. You're right about patterns of play. There was no pattern or rhythm to France's play. It was very disjointed. You know, they couldn't move up the park uh, efficiently enough. Their midfield... You know, was wrestling with the Tunisian midfield. I mean, you look at possession, yeah, sure, but it doesn't actually, it's not a reflection on the game. Tunisia were, you could tell that Tunisia had a result to chase and they were trying to achieve that result. They thought they had that when they had scored, but obviously, you know, three minutes later, thanks to Matthew Lecky, the, the situation changed rather. I'm struggling with my words this morning. It's been a big morning. <laughs> It's been a big morning for everyone um, in this country, Laz. Uh, all around Australia, <laughs> yep. yeah. It's just brilliant, isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. So, we, we, you, you look at that scenario and the Tunisians, you know, they, they put everything out on that pitch. Uh, the French disrespected the Michael, uh, right with that lineup and, the, and, and players playing out of position. And the French were rightly punished. And... You know, they've, uh, they've got a very tricky game in the round of 16 now. They do, and we'll come on to that for sure. The French will be coming up against Poland in the round of 16, but there's so much drama attached to that fixture. Just a little bit more word on Tunisia, because they were really good this morning against France. And yes, all the focus was on the Socceroos game, but I had it on 
as well. And I was checking it out every now and then and seeing how it was. Most of the time, particularly in the first 60 minutes, whenever I looked over, it was Tunisia on the attack looking to score. They were good against Denmark on match day one, and they were very good today, well worth the win. I must ask, where was that Tunisia against Australia? I'm happy they didn't turn up against the Socceroos, of course. But from their perspective, surely this is a massive missed opportunity. Yeah, look, that's a good point there, Nathan. I think that Australia were allowed to dictate the game and wrestle control, and that's what they did against Tunisia, right? And that's where you saw the Danes trying to actually do that because you've seen the Australians start sprightly in the first in the first two matches. The Tunisians uh, had the same kind of approach against what they uh, against Denmark in this game against the French today, and yeah, look. Uh, they were the only team uh, they were one of the only teams not to score a goal in the group phase up until today so it looks like you know we can say that they have got quality going forward but that final final part of the game for them is where they struggle Uh, they scored a great goal today Um, and it just wasn't to be I mean look and it, it you know, when I saw Griezmann, I thought Griezmann had uh, scored the, an equaliser there to save um, face for the French, but that was uh, disallowed uh, with VAR. Yes, the the highest of drama that would have been. That helped, that added to the whole drama of the of that match, which is which was incredible. That last, uh, you know, the injury time period was just insane. And just the final word on Tunisia: the goal came through Wabi Kazri, who hasn't been starting, who hasn't been playing many minutes. Yeah, maybe he should have been starting from the get-go and we would have been talking about a different outcome for Tunisia. Just before we move on to the 6 o'clock games, we'll talk a little bit about Denmark. We haven't looked at it from their perspective. We absolutely need to because we both had Denmark winning this group at the start of the tournament. I had Denmark making a deep run into the knockouts as well. This is an unmitigated disaster for Denmark. No goals against Tunisia, no goals against Australia. Yes, they scored against France, but... They've finished bottom of this group. It's just a case of ripping this whole thing up and starting again for Denmark, it feels like, because there's not even a mitigating factor here. It just was disaster for them. Couldn't put it better myself. We had high expectations of Denmark based on the previous tournaments that they'd just played, the most recent tournament form that they'd shown, and also the uh, uh, European Nations League lead-up as well. So they were in good form prior to this World Cup. They've come to Qatar and it's just gone foul for them. It really has. So, um, yeah, look, I'm glad from the Australian perspective that we were actually able to beat them. That is just incredible. You know, and um, well-deserved. Well-deserved. Um, the Danish are going to have to go back to the drawing board because they have got a smart coach. Like, he is a smart manager, but... Obviously, um, obviously, there's uh, seems to be. Look, I'm not sure about Schmeichel in goals and, and how he's been playing. He seems to be um, off the ball. I don't know what they've got um, in, in the keeper stocks um, behind him, but um, you can see that he's been on the wane for the last couple of seasons, and yeah, just. Their midfield is their strength, but defensively, at times, they just they just didn't look as solid as what they have in, in the past. Their problem is going forward, though, really. 
Yeah. In that game today, there was very little creativity. Anytime they created a half chance, it was just a, a lofted ball into the box. There was no uh, football played on the ground for the most part from Denmark. And that those that's the sort of thing that you would use to get at this soccer's defence. We can defend aerial balls all day long. You just Harry Sutar's going to be able to dispatch any of those that come into the box for, for the most part. If you get keep the ball on the deck and start to play around, then you can try and... That's how this soccer's defence gets opened up. They just didn't try that at all. They just kept launching balls into the box the entire game, it felt. Just, I think the manager got the tactics all wrong today for Denmark, and they are going home. They deserve to go home. As I said, they only scored one goal this tournament, and it was against France, and a massive disappointment. Ranked 10 in the world, this Denmark side, so... Yeah, yeah. Look, um, quite rightly, they deserve to be going home, based on, on the evidence of the, the three group games. Well, let's have a look at the six o'clock games as well, group C action. We had... Wasn't there drama in oh, this? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Boy, oh, boy. I don't know how many would have stayed up or gone to bed and woken up again to watch these games. Just the pure elation of the result for the for Australia. But if you missed it, you missed one hell of a set of fixtures. And there was about a 20-minute period, maybe a 30-minute period, where the positions of the group were going down to yellow cards. Yeah, that's right. Second half. Incredible. Even toward the end there, you know. Uh, we'll go through the games, but yes, the permutations were incredible, and it was going to go down to yellow cards at one point, up until the very last, almost the last kick of the group. It would have been only the second time fair play has been invoked. It was Senegal going home in Russia 18. It could have been Mexico going home on yellow cards, but that wasn't the case. At least we've got a goal reason as to why they're going home rather than a disciplined one. But Mexico, they were fantastic today against Saudi Arabia. And I'll ask a similar question. Where has this Mexico been against the against Argentina and uh, Poland? I don't get it because Tata Martínez is, is considered to be a, 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 an experienced coach. There's no doubt about that. We agree on that, don't we? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, so if why would he leave people like players like Hernandez? I know he was getting on, right? Um, at home and other players of that you're playing in the MLS and, and you, you know and, and obviously just not having a bar of them they struggled in the first two games they were abysmal but they were still alive and you know I, I think that I think that El Tri like uh, unfortunately suffered because of the selection um, stubbornness of because this is a really old Mexico squad and a lot of these players won't be around for 2026 but the thing is they don't have to qualify for 2026 there's no competitive games for the for the Mexican side until that tournament so but you'd still bring Hernandez in off the bench if you had him to try and make a difference the guy scored like 15 goals in MLS this year but what what I'll sort of get again is that there's no real opportunity to bleed through the next generation in this Mexico team they struggled at this tournament to get some goal scoring happening until this Saudi Arabia match this morning. I don't really see how this Mexican team gets to be in a better position in four years' time, or three and a half years' time, but four years' time. And it seems as though this period of Mexico where they were reliably reaching the knockout phases, this isn't a blip. This is perhaps a, a new position that they find themselves in, a bit on the outside looking in. I, I think we'll hear by the end of next week, or this, you know, within the next week, that um, Mexico and Martinez is a part of the ways. 
Yeah, I can't disagree with you on that. Surely, surely. And um, this is a failure on their part. Oh, this would have to be considered a fail. They almost salvaged it. There was a, a couple of chances right at the end where it was cleared off the line or a miraculous save, but they just couldn't get it done and they left themselves too much to do in the final game. What a goal it was, we must say, from uh, Luis Chavez. A fantastic strike, potentially goal of the tournament, but uh, it might be the only thing they're winning. Oh, well, they won the kit off, though. Uh, and they won the kit off, that's <laughs> right. They won the back peg kit off. Um, yeah, look, you're right there. And credits, credit to the Saudis to actually playing to the very end because Mexico they were pressing for another goal. All Mexico, all Mexico needed for the yellow card scenario not to come in to play was one more goal. And you were expecting Mexico to get that goal and to actually qualify. Even when Saudi Arabia scored, they still only needed one more goal. Yeah, because of goals scored. So there were, you know, two or three tiebreakers there that were coming into play. You know, it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. And uh, we'll speak about Saudi Arabia as well on the losing side today. They'll always have that Argentina game where they were brilliant and they deserved their victory on that day, but they came unstuck massively against the two other sides in this group and Poland scored a fair few goals against them and Mexico could have scored more than they did today where do you see the Saudi Arabia team going because yes they've had that fantastic moment but the second and third games in the group really were poor they played with apprehension though it seems like so I don't know what um, what Hervinard is thinking now Um, how far is he taking this team as far as they can go there's still the Asian Cup for them to play I think he'll stay around till then. But, yeah, it's um, it's a tournament of lost opportunity for the Saudis. And this was an op- you know, this is a tournament in their own backyard. And the fact is that they should have done better. Do you think perhaps that, given that they beat Argentina, they're already thinking about the knockout stages, that they had already beaten the best team on paper, and they were, they perhaps already accounted for getting a result against the two quote-unquote lesser teams of the group. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That may have crept in. It shouldn't have, and the coaching staff should have been aware, you know, attuned to that. But it may well be that that that's the case, Nathan. That's a good point. Um, yeah, lost opportunity for the Saudis, and as it stands now, Australia is the only Asian team to have qualified in the round of 16. Yeah, wow. There was four or five that were looking good, uh, after match day two, with a, a decent chance to go through. But we'll come on to Japan a little bit later on in this episode, but they're an outside chance. South Korea, an outside chance now. It's not looking good for the Asian teams. There was a, there was a spell where they were picking up wins left, right and centre, and uh, it's all starting to fall apart, except for the Socceroos, of course. Should we move on to the Socceroos' next opponent and Poland? Yes, the other game from Group C. This was essentially the same game as Mexico-Saudi Arabia. It just was attack against defence for 90 minutes, and Argentina, they did what they had to do. The scary thing is that that was Argentina's, I feel, best performance so far of the tournament. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. And against Mexico, they struggled to get anything going, and they had two moments of brilliance to win them the game. Today was a much better, well-rounded performance, and they could have scored a hatful. Lionel Messi should have scored from the spot. That would have made it uh, three, perhaps. And they had so many more chances to 
put the game well and truly to bed to bury the Polish at this tournament. But they just got away the Poles and they were able to sneak into the knockout phases. Argentina were fantastic. And yes, it's going to be exciting to see Argentina against Australia. Exciting, perhaps. Um, scary is another word that comes to mind. Looking at Lionel Messi against Aziz Beige, perhaps. It's a, it's an interesting game in prospect. It's uh, intimidating in prospect. The concern I have about Australia in that game, and we obviously will cover it um, on Saturday, is our right side. That's the concern. That's the weakness that uh, every every team has identified so far that they played, you know, that we've played against. But thankfully, our defence has stood up. So we've got um, so that makes the crossover Argentina versus Australia on Sunday morning, six a.m. Sydney time, and got France versus Poland as the other round of 16 match that's been decided. It'll be two games that will play out in a similar manner, I feel. Argentina will have most of the ball, so will France, and it's just a case of whether they were able to unlock the defences. Poland have just come in to defend for 270 minutes so far, almost, and I don't know if they can hold the French out. It'll be back to their first team. We'll come on to the previews for those games in in a few days' time, but I can only see that going one way. Yeah, we've got previews to do for tomorrow's games. Oh, Lord. <laughs> this is, a, yeah. This, again, crazy, you know, crazy scenario with Group C and F. Well, let's have a look at the 2 a.m. games. First of all is Canada against Morocco. And for the North Africans to get out of the group, they only need one single point to secure their place in the knockout phases. And the other match is, of course, Croatia against Belgium. And this one is a winner takes all. And... A draw does favour Croatia, but they're going to be looking a little bit dicey in this game. How do you approach this game? And Australia, we need a point. And I think I believe, yes, we were the first team who needed a point, and we actually go, went and got the result that we were after. So after two failed attempts from Group A and Group B, you can go out and get that point. Well, we got three, but you can go and get the result you're after. I think uh, Croatia will take care of Belgium. Belgium... Uh have been very unimpressive in this tournament, as we know. There's issues there from what we can glean. And, yeah, it's not looking good for Belgium. Um, and that's the end of their golden generation. I look at uh, the Canada versus Morocco, and I see a Morocco win here. I think Croatia will just edge it on goal difference and take out the group, with Morocco finishing second. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it'll be just. But that that's where the interest is in this final match day for mine because I'm expecting first and second to win the games and there's not going to be as much drama from this group, but it's going to be really close on who actually wins the group. And really, there's not even that much of a prize if you win this group, as we'll come on to. It's it's going to be either Spain or Germany, perhaps Japan if they can pull off the, the big upset. But Spain, Germany, it's, it's essentially... It's a tough game no matter who you get, so... I don't think there's going to be too much intrigue on the face of things. Maybe it evolves into that. Maybe Canada turn up and we actually have a a morning of real drama, but that remains to be seen. I'm tipping a win for Morocco and Croatia. As we move over to those 6am games, it's Costa Rica against Germany. Costa Rica, they need something to get out of the group. If they pick up uh, a point and Japan don't win, they will be going through, but it's a tough ask. Germany... They're starting to grow into this tournament, I feel. They were poor against Japan. They they were better against Spain. Perhaps they'll be better again in the morning. And the Japanese are up against the Spaniards. And that is all on the line. 
Spain, barring the most extraordinary result, are through to the knockouts. But Japan need to get a win to get themselves into the round of 16. Yeah, I see. I see Germany beating Costa Rica, obviously. Uh, there's no surprises there. I've just got a feeling that this Japan-Spain game is going to be a draw, which would mean that I think that suits both teams. It just depends on how much Germany beats um, Costa Rica by. You know, I can see Germany-Costa Rica going down as an ill or draw. I can see that happening. Like, perhaps. That, 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 that's de- definitely possible. And if Spain go and beat Japan, we've got Costa Rica going through to the knockout stages, which would be remarkable after match day one. That's a, that's an entire, entirely feasible scenario. I can't see it in actuality. I I'm not going to predict it, I should say. Germany will win. They'll win comfortably, probably 3-0. And maybe, yes, a draw in the Spain-Japan game, which would send it down to goal difference between Germany and Japan. And that's going to be mighty close. Actually, it would be Germany going through because they'll win. Either way, it'll be an interesting. It'll be a fascinating morning uh, tomorrow morning, that's for sure. Just before we wrap up, Lazarus, did you see anything away from the pitch today? I saw that the Canelo Alvarez and Lionel Messi situation has sorted itself out. Alvarez has apologised for losing his head. And that's the end of that story. So thank goodness. Yes, we can finally close the book on that one. How about yourself? <laughs> um... I'll point to the same thing that it was against Tunisia, my thing away from the pitch. The absolute scenes in Fed Square. That The clip has gone absolutely everywhere. It's gone viral around the world. 4 a.m. Limbs. Fed Square. It is limbs. That is the right word. It's amazing. And yes, incredible. Incredible scenes. I wish we had a live site like that in Sydney. I wish there was something similar. We used to have it many moons ago, but now we just get extended pub hours. Yeah, it just looked like that um, Sydney hadn't planned for... Um you know, plan for this event. Whilst Fed Square in Melbourne is the perfect location for it because they've already got a screen there and SBS is there and it's just brilliant. So well done to them. Uh, well done to all concerned with that. Uh, I just want to give a special mention to West's uh, Ashfield and their Sydney Markets Club because they've, they've been kind enough to let me uh, do the pod here for the last couple of days and I'll be here again tomorrow. So um, whilst in, in between a bit of work and watching the games. So uh, just want to thank the management of uh, West Ashfield and the Markets Club at Sydney Markets. Well said. Thank you very much for tuning in to this edition of the Daily Doha on the back peg. We'll be back tomorrow morning to discuss all the fallout from the next set of Match Day 3 fixtures and preview the final games for uh, the final games before the knockout. Thank you, Les, for joining me. Thanks, Nathan. Well done, Socceroos. Go, you Socceroos. Uh, enjoy the football tomorrow morning and take care all.